I think it's going to rain and it's going to stop. This is I Am a Griefist, a childhood cancer grief journey podcast. I re-listened, Mom, back to last week's episode, and you had asked me why this 4th of July was different. Mm-hmm. I went to my therapist. Mm-hmm. I think I was depressed. Oh, my gosh. Is that what they said saying? Yeah, I think we that's sort of what we figured out. But I, I didn't want to not talk about that because I was trying to explain it away, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, and I couldn't nail it. But we talked through it, and I was depressed, so... Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Pam. Yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, it's for sure. Okay. It's Thank you. <laughs> it makes no sense that it, you wouldn't still be dealing with it. When you lose a child, that's the way it works. Right. But it's a new week. So we had talked last week that we were going to have more guests on. We have a new one mm-hmm. today. We've talked about this person tons. Well, especially you. Yes. And I think he's nervous. Another dude. <laughs> Say hello, dude. Hello. <laughs> um, you said you're nervous. Yes. Why are you nervous? I don't want to say something that will offend. Sorry. You. It's okay. So, so I can cut yeah, shit. Sure. So yeah. you do. If there's anything uh, yeah. that would, that afterwards she thinks, oh, this might be... You know, so to be honest, I might say something that offends you. So we can like make this an even playing field. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you probably couldn't, but... <laughs> but the reason I say that is because I'm probably going to talk about things that I've never told anyone. Hey, that's what we're here for. We're excited <laughs> it's the to same have thing it. Joe said. I know. Yeah, so that's good. Wait, did you say your name? I don't think so. Tell us your name, sir. Who are we calling you? Steve. Steve. I'm... <laughs> the myth, the yeah. legend. <laughs> <laughs> the grandkids call me Papa Steve. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I tried to get my wife to call me Papa. <laughs> she doesn't. No. That's uh that's not for this TMI. podcast. Yeah. Different, different podcast. This might be a, a different yeah, podcast. I'm sorry. Sorry. No. Wow. We are it's hard for me to say you were excited you're here, but we are happy you're here to help share sort of your perspective of this whole cancer grief journey. Because you're dealing with Grandma Carmen, you're dealing with the rest of the family. And so we just want to know what it was like for you because right. this was. Oh no, mom's crying. <laughs> Why is she crying already? <laughs> just imagine what's coming up. <laughs> Are you afraid to hear of things he might say? Not afraid. I know that it affected all of us. And basically, I think individually, we're trying to do better, be better, go to to counseling. And he's gone with me. But I think that as a whole, men don't actually believe in like counseling. And I can't say like they don't believe in it. But just like Uncle Joe, he just didn't. He hasn't talked to anybody about it. Yeah. Just hasn't. And I think that's normally what happens with men. Yeah. So 
We've talked about it a little bit, not a lot, though, because he doesn't share a whole lot. But He's going to share a whole lot today. <laughs> I think so. It was Steve. So it's Papa Steve. Papa Steve. <laughs> Where should we start? How you sort of joined this crazy family? Because we are pretty crazy. Did you realize? So we'll start with that. How did you join this family? And did you realize we we're going to be this crazy? No. <laughs> Would you have still signed up? <laughs> I think so. I always tell Carmen, you can't stop love. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that. Anyone else, that's free. You just can't stop love. No. Love it. <laughs> so take um, us back. You know what? I didn't say thank you for inviting me. Oh, I, you don't need to, but you're welcome. <laughs> I'm totally honored. Oh, this. of course. Absolutely. Okay, we are honored so. to have you because your perspective has already hit other folks out there through mom. So it was only right for us to hear it straight out of the horse's mouth. And, right. you know, your perspective of the journey itself will offer just so much more and open so much, you know, insight <laughs> into what that was like. So it's right. really our honor. Okay. Well, I hope so. Yeah, for sure. So, we met at work. Ooh, love affair at work. Love affair at work. And I approached her first. (gasps) And the look she gave me, if looks could kill, (laughs) I would have been (laughs) dead. (laughs) But anyway, she eventually came around. I think we're going to laugh more than cry on this one. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting some answers to things that you've never even asked about. That's true. Right? That's true. Typically, people don't talk about that. Well, I knew that. I knew that you guys met at work. You used to be, I don't know if you want to talk about sort of where where you're positioning. Because I think mom has shared about it a little bit. That you used to be in law enforcement, retired. Uh But when you guys met, you were a SWAT officer. Yes. Woo-wee. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was a police officer and, of course, rose up through the ranks and eventually retired as a supervisor. So, like most, you know, police officers, it's typical. Nothing too exciting or anything. Um, I would like to differ. I know. He's trying to minimize. He's a a humble. Mm -hmm. How many years of homicide, then? Almost 10. A couple months shy of 10. Yeah, homicide detective. Homicide detective, and then the other thing, when which you... fed into my true crime <clears throat> passion. Yeah, that was pretty, <laughs> pretty yeah, funny. Because we used to talk uh-huh. about some of the <laughs> like, things that I they seen. did. This it's because you might of have this. to cut that out because I don't think he's supposed to be sharing stuff at all. He's retired. <laughs> he's retired, so it's okay. I can no? talk about anything. <laughs> um, There's no FBI clearance. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been sworn to secrecy or anything. Hey. So to to be honest, though, the work that he does um, has afforded us the luxuries that we were able to offer the baby and your sister and you guys when everything went down. Because yeah. I always say that it was it was really kind of crazy how we ended up. Being able to afford yeah, to help. For sure. And it, of, of course, as a homicide detective in a city like where yep. we live in is, I mean, there were days, I want to say two murders a day, sometimes more. And three. Three murders. And it's. Ridiculous. And if he's the one that's on call, it's back to back yeah, to back. Yeah. 
And it's not just the initial, it's afterwards the investigation, everything else. And, and although I didn't get to see him much, it's still what ended up being, you know, helpful in getting us where we are. Yeah. Or at the time too, where we are now, but at the time too, where we were, you know, financially being able to assist. Stable. But the other thing is, let me just add one more thing. He was also at the time, so we're going to talk about when the baby got sick. So he's a homicide detective, and then he was also the president of the POA from that same What's agency. What's a POA? Police Officers Association. So a union. A union, yes. So the timing, I think what I'm trying to just say is he was completely almost 24-7 busy. If he wasn't busy with the homicides, he was busy with the union stuff because at that time, the city was... Going bankrupt. financial yeah. problems. Mm. Yeah. So that means more yeah. more time that he had to be spending on the phone, talking to people like we're talking about like higher ups everywhere. Like I want to say mayors of the city yes. trying to, yeah, yeah. judges. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds Political of things that couldn't stop. Greatness. Yeah. That I thought <laughs> for me that that can't stop. Yeah. No matter what's going on, you know, we still have to survive. We, st- you know, he still has to make sure that he keeps going the way he's going through the ranks. Yeah. And it's <laughs> very hard. Yeah. So you, you met mom at work, uh, made it up through the ranks and you guys got married. Whoa. And let me tell you, Steve, I wasn't excited about you earlier. I, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, it I took know. a minute. <laughs> I, I'm sure all the listeners can tell that, that you're not one to hold your feelings. <laughs> so you made it clear. Yes. But you know what? I love you for it. <laughs> I'm glad you could say that no, now. <laughs> no, I, I, I understood at the time where you were at. You're clearly a lot younger. Yeah, I was like 18. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it's a, it's a tough transition for. Definitely. For anyone. Um, Yeah. So, but that's, we we got through that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Steve is not my biological father. Steve is my stepdad. And so it was, it was working through as a teenager, first divorce. And then on top of that, allowing somebody else to sort of come into the family that we didn't know that we sort of had to trust because mom's trusting. And let me tell you at that time, mom was, mom was dating and she wasn't bringing around the best people. (laughs) We know that. So, um, so it was, we were guarded, right? So we were trying to protect mom us as kids. If, you know, if, if there's anything that's been clear on this podcast is mom is very protective of her family. And I think we get that trait from her that vice versa, right? We don't want anything to happen to mom. So when we had somebody new come in, it was a transition. It was difficult at first, right? Because obviously you're not my biological father, but it was like, well, is this person going to take his place or what's that like? And I was like, no, 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 no. But I don't know when the transition happened, but I've just, I got to this level of acceptance and I was like, well, he's not going anywhere. They're married. I got to do something. Right. (laughs) So it just sort of, I think that you made a very diligent effort to show basically who you were and that you weren't here to like cause rifts or, you know, cause any issues within the family. It was just like, you know, I'm, I'm going to try my best. And you made every 
effort and measure to do that. So if I can say thank you for that to help us in that transition. I don't think I've ever said thank you, so thank you. <laughs> You're okay, <Nope>. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh-oh. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I knew I would win you over. <laughs> I knew it. It's Mom a wins. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't stop. Love. It wouldn't take. <laughs> oh goodness! This is awesome. We just started, and I, I can't even. But anyway, yeah. So Steve gets in, and we they got married. But at that time, some of the kids were already born, right? So some of the grandkids were already here. You were here for all of them, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. For the rest of them. Yes. So. So what was that like, being like a granddad? Because your kids, you have two kids, uh-huh. and they they weren't at an age yet to be, it's for you to make you a grandpa yet, so they were right. super young. So right. tell us what it was like to be a step-granddad. So it was cool, and <laughs> you know, the, the thing about it is that I think it's important to to say this because, of course, the listeners can't see it and they haven't lived it, but... I was like in a line. I had to like wait my turn to be because that's how this family is. You guys all babies come and everyone, you know, gathers around the baby. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, crabs in a barrel. Everybody's pulling everybody down just to get to the baby. Oh, yeah. So you just kind of feel like, well, I'll be supportive when I need, you know, when I'm asked to be supportive. Mm. Um, I'll be there when I need to be there and I'll play my role. Tell us about this role. Support. Okay. Always be ready Mm. when needed, when called upon. Okay. That's it. Okay. (laughs) Be there for my wife. Sure. Of course. Sure. But, you know, so whenever she needs something, try to give it. But in terms of just being a, a a granddad, it's it's neat. It's neat to see see the babies born and see. It's kind of kind of weird because I'm. I always took it as like. I tried to always take a step back whenever things, major events happen in the family. Mm. Just tried to, like, look around, the entire see the big picture mm. kind of thing. Okay. And felt, and I just felt like that I needed to do that in order to see that everybody was getting what they needed. Hmm. I felt like that was my role. Okay. He did a really good job. There was a, a couple of times that I can think of that I took on a parent role. And I know that I've talked about this before, but trying to discipline the kids. And he would tell me, that's not your job. Mm. <laughs> You're grandma. That's not your job. Because I was getting just like, I was going to be the mean grandma and I didn't want to be the mean grandma, but he was telling me, You're going to be the mean grandma. <laughs> yes. You need to be the grandma that they go, you know, every time we go down there, we get all the candy we want, all the, we get to play, we get to have fun, we get to scream. And to be honest, I think there were times the stuff that we were dealing with, it was too much. I didn't want to hear the laughing. I didn't want to mm-hmm. hear the yeah. loudness. Depression. And it is depression. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. But, yeah. but he would like, come here, I need to talk to you. You need to calm down. You know, they don't need to be hearing you getting yeah. mad about them having fun. And it's more like a check. He was my 
You check know, a balance. Check, yeah, balance <clears throat> check. Yeah. Just calm down. Just, you know, you're angry, but you're not angry at them. Just, yeah. But you're talking already after she had been diagnosed or yes. was this pre-diagnosed? Okay. So let's talk about diagnosis then. If you, Or actually, no, let's not. Let's talk about what you remember about the baby before diagnosis. I remember she was sick often. Hmm. Yeah, that was kind of hard. Sorry. Don't be sorry. This is a place to do it. Pre-diagnosis, she was just sick and we thought, I remember, colic, um, mm-hmm. some other issue. Cancer wasn't in the no. in the conversation. Right. Do you remember her energy, though? Off the walls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was bright. So they moved in with us. Like right before diagnosis, I mm-hmm. think. I say mm-hmm. right before, within a year she was diagnosed after they moved in. Mm-hmm. What was she? Two years old? She was three, three so years old. Four. Yeah, she was four. She had just so, turned four. When they when moved they, in, though, though she was in, right before. She was like, so she was still three and she turned three. four when she was here. Yeah. So it was, it was very cool having a baby run around, screaming. <laughs> <laughs> laughing, having a good time. And I always saw our house as a kid's playground. Mm. I never cared how loud they got. Yeah. So it was nice to hear them. Yeah. Laughing and having fun. Yeah. It's almost hard to remember that time because of the trauma that came from the cancer. It's hard. Like it just clouds all yeah. the good, you know, the pre. Pre-time, whatever was happening before that. Uh-huh. Do you want to talk about the diagnosis? Like, do you remember? What do you remember sure. about about okay. it? Okay, so I remember it like it was yesterday. Your mom comes to me and she says, because we knew that something was going on with the baby. She was going to the to the hospital back and forth, and I was busy at work, but I was just doing the best I could just to stay. And, and your mom was keeping me updated on on what was going on. Mm-hmm. So the day that she came to me, I remember where we were standing in the bedroom, where she was, where I was. It was, And she goes, so we found out today that the baby has cancer. And I'm glad she, she brought it to me the way she did because she didn't let that sit. She immediately said, but the doctors have said that this cancer that she has is a 95% cure rate. The doctor said that if you get any babies get any kind of cancer, this is one that they want to get. Wilms tumor. Mm-hmm. So when I heard that, I was like, okay, it's uh, it, it's almost like a non-starter. Yeah, yeah. No big deal. Right. And I think you may have told me about maybe some surgery that they were going to do. But that was the important thing. Like, I heard the important part for yeah. me. Yeah. So <laughs> if you, I'm going to let you inside my head a little bit. Okay. I am a, a mission-oriented person. I operate better. Give me a mission. Tell me what you want done. Mm. I'll do it. Okay. Versus Vers- mom- you reading mom's mind Correct. on what you need. <laughs> okay. Correct. Or, or even versus 
doing something that I think you want me to do. And it's completely wrong. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so how that plays into this whole journey, again, I just felt like I had a role to play. And my role was wait for my mission. Mm. Did you prefer any different than what's my mission? Because you said you had this role to play, but would you have had that any different? So I don't know if I can say I would prefer it different, but I can tell you if I had to do it all over again, I would do it differently. Mm. Because what I didn't realize is that no one knew what they needed. Yeah, that no, ain't that the truth. No one knew enough to say, hey, I need, hey, Steve, here's your mission. Here's mm -hmm. what I need you to do. Mm -hmm. And being the kind of person that I am, just waiting for my mission, it never was going to come, mm -hmm. which created other problems. Okay. <laughs> like? <laughs> more on a, on a more personal level than anything. Okay. So, for example, there's this... You know, everyone's going to the hospital. There's constant hospital visits. There's con constant doctor visits. And you, your mom, Jess, everybody's just doing what they're supposed to do. And I am waiting for my mission. Mm. From one of you, from somebody, and no one really knows. You're just... You're already in it. It's it's almost you, you got like a basketball team, and there's a guy at the end of the bench, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's uh -huh. sitting at the end of the bench. Uh -huh. He knows he's on the team. Uh -huh. <laughs> he knows all the plays. Uh -huh. He practices every day. Yeah, he's ready. And the guys that are in the game, they don't have time to say, "Hey, at halftime, at break time." Could you get me some water? <laughs> Could you do this? Could you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. My shoelace broke. They don't yeah. have time for that. They're in the game. Right. So I'm sitting on the bench waiting to be called up and it doesn't happen. And in real life, you all are just reacting yeah. to what was going on. Yeah. That's exactly So what, what you were doing was being driven by you're making decisions, you're reacting. And a lot of times... Those reactions were something that you knew you had to do. Yeah. And so I had to just really remind myself, this is your role. I mean, my role just, I kind of felt like it just got reduced to just make sure, <laughs> go to work every day. Don't lose your job because mm. that's the role that you need to play to make sure that everybody else is okay so they can focus on, on taking care of the baby. But I did feel like kind of cut out of it. Mm, yeah, that that hurts a little bit. It does because uh, you don't realize it. For us, and I'm saying you and I because we did the best that we could to just be there. It was like front line of defense. Yes. Right? Like so, mom and I are like step one and I can understand. And even me, sometimes I felt like I was on the bench waiting for things to happen. Mm -hmm. But to know that that's still rippled out to like you and your role, but that you, you also said something key to that it was reduced to, but that role wasn't 
like it's minimal it reduction, role. Yeah. It was huge in how everything played out. And yeah. sharing, and mom had said has said this over and over again. Like, well, Steve, you know, somebody had to pay the bills. You know, so we were relying on you really heavily to do that, so that we had this luxury of being able to be there in the yes. front line. So. Yeah. But it doesn't change your feelings about it. it. Doesn't change that. That's heartbreaking to hear that you know you've sort of felt like maybe right. less or of or that your role wasn't as important as others. All or, I can think of is well, sometimes like we would just be there, and all of a sudden, just would say, "Oh my gosh, I don't have a, a something," mirror. Yeah. and then we'd go, "Okay, so where are we going? You know, yeah. what are we going to do? Who's going to stay here to make sure that if you need something else?" And one of us would go. So it wasn't like. There was nothing that that was planned, I guess, because yeah. we didn't. Nobody knew anything. Waiting. You're right. Yeah, it waiting, was all just waiting reactive. for our mission right. too, and even, to some degree. Even the Thanksgiving thing, when we were told, "Oh, they're going to be here Thanksgiving," we were last minute going, Shopping. "Okay, we're going to make a turkey." Yeah. Be- yeah, but it wasn't anything that we thought. Oh my gosh, Thanksgiving is Thursday. Let's do this. There it was wasn't none not of that important yeah. at all. Yeah, at that point. Sorry, yeah, you were I, saying something. That's okay. I was just going to say that I, I think part of the what added to it was when and I, I know what kind of personality I have. I, I'm a type A personality. Most police officers are type A personality. Hmm. Maybe I should have been a police um, officer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're super type A, but um, <laughs> that's not that's not a dig. It's not it's a compliment. I don't care. <laughs> I I love type A personalities. <laughs> Um, but you, you got to understand it's like just as police officers and, you know, most people could probably relate to this. You, you go, why? Why do I see like when you see some I'm talking about real life, whether you're watching cops on television, whether you're watching a YouTube video of police officers in real life, you'll often see them almost pushing each other out of the way to get to the action, to yeah. get to the bad guy, to get yeah. to. Because they want to be on the front line. Mm-hmm. And often, just like in a, all throughout my career, whenever we had to respond to some type of event, some high stress type call, maybe there's, you know, a barricaded subject or something. The officers who were on like the perimeter of the building, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very important job mm-hmm. because you need to contain the suspect right. within that perimeter. Right. But if you ask each of those individual officers, they hate that position. And when you go back to the station and you talk about what happened, what you hear them say was, I was only on the perimeter. <laughs> oh. So they feel like <laughs> they had no role yeah. in getting the bad guy in custody and bringing the the call to a resolution. Yeah. That's just police officers' Mm -hmm. personality. Mm -hmm. So when you have something like this happens to your family, your loved one, and you're just on the perimeter, it's tough. Yeah. Because you feel like you had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. There was one situation where I preferred you to be on the perimeter, and it has nothing to do with this, but it was when there was the terrorist shooting you weren't working that day and I remember texting you because I was at work and I was like Steve you're not going down there (laughs) and you're like no I need to be there no Steve you're not going down there because at that point in time we didn't know what was going on we didn't know the severity of what was happening it was like reporting that the suspect was all over town and we weren't sure where they were but I was like no you're not 
Mom, tell Steve he's not going. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, anyway. Yeah, so, but I, I understand. I understand feeling, you know, that you don't play as important of a role. And as an aunt, I'm the same. But, mm-hmm. you know, I have that role. Grandma probably too. You know, you want to be on the inside, but you also want to respect the the parents role like they're more directly involved and so it was trying to not step on toes it was trying to you know understand that what our individual roles were and how we can just best support based on our role one of the biggest problems that i had is the decisions that your sister was making Mm. and because i am used to making the decisions for her let alone right and and i don't have the right to to do it for her daughter she's an adult now yeah (laughs) So it was very hard to, like, sit back. And, of course, Steve was always telling me, that's not your role. Just calm down. She's the one. Just be the support team. Just be there when she needs you. And it's very hard to not just tell her, you, this is how it's going to get done. This is how you're going to do it. Yeah. I think in the beginning, I don't know if you remember, she was actually looking into, instead of doing chemotherapy, some natural. Yeah remedies and how was like we're in the you know the era we are right now with all these scientific breakthroughs you have to take advantage of that and he's the one that told me step back step back let her make that decision that's her daughter yeah but it's hard to it's hard to do that yeah just to watch sit on the sideline and watch and be the what was it what did you call them the perimeter yeah, officers on the perimeter. I know, and I feel like even with Steve, he was even further back. So I'm right here, and I felt like I was on the outside, and he felt like it sounds like to me like you felt even further. Oh yeah, yeah. I think what I what I did is I realized that my the best thing that I could do would be to support her. You're pointing to mom. Pointing to mom. Yes, support support. And just be there. But you know how your mom is. I want to talk she, about that. She doesn't ask for help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. And she's a very independent woman. Right. So for you to be able to give her help was almost impossible to. And she wouldn't tell me. I'm yeah. right here. <laughs> so, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so if you if you look at it, at just that dynamic, you yeah. see here I am. Realizing, okay, the best thing I can do, I can't shove Jess out the way and, yeah. and stand in front of the doctor right. and ask questions. Right. 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 I can't do that. Right. Like what I want to do. I want to. Right. Right. Like I'd push the police officers out of the way yeah, yeah, yeah. to get to the, to the bad guy. I can't do that. Right. And I know that. So now I go, okay, well, maybe I'll just support my wife and be there for when she needs me and she never tells me she needs me. Yeah, because <laughs> she just does what she sure what she, she has to do. Yeah, he says that, but he's he's been there for uh, I, countless times that I've been in the middle of like mental torture, just trying to figure things out. And he's told me, "This is what you need to do," and just telling me, "Stop," mm-hmm. was enough. So you said you would do it differently. What would you do differently? So. I would take a more active role. I wouldn't wait to be told. Mm. I wouldn't wait for my mission. Mm. I would. And and here's, again, 
we talked about how you all just reacted. Mm -hmm. Whenever Carmen ran out the house and jumped in the car to do something, I would have ran out and jumped in the car with her Mm -hmm. if I had to do it all over again. That's the more active role I would have taken. Mm -hmm. I'd have been by her side more. What is that doing to you? There's a lot of times that I think we all felt like that. We all felt alone. And it would have helped with that not to feel alone. Because I had plenty of time trying to drive from here to the hospital and sometimes just not even want to listen to the radio, just in my thoughts. And sometimes it would have just helped. But maybe I'm stronger for that, too. So, well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think that, you know, it's, it's just kind of. Hindsight. It's always 20, it's hindsight. You don't even know you need but, it, though. Right. right. When you're in the middle of it, you're just And I wouldn't thoughts. know if you would accept it either. Oh. Because if, let's say, for example, you were, like, running out the door and Steve needed to put a shirt and shoes on, would you have <laughs> waited it. for no, him? I'm not exactly. sure. I so, so mad. <laughs> I, so, do, I still do that now, and I don't, I'm not even in a rush. I have to go. Yeah. So <laughs> this is, part of it is you know, an interest in wanting to play a different role or be more active in the role. But on the other side is a willingness to accept a more active role. Uh-huh. Because I don't I don't know if that would have been the case. You're right. Maybe, maybe they would have just gotten in the way. Because for us, well, for me personally, I know that there was nothing to stop me. Like if I'm going somewhere, like I quit my job for fuck's sake, right? Yeah, right. Like I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to go do this. Uh-huh. So I don't know if that would have changed your I dynamic at all or anything. I I just think that uh, I would have, I'm not trying to make it like to make you feel worse, but I think, I just really think I would have appreciated you being there. I think a lot of times. Well, that's for, a double-edged sword because you want him to work. Yes. To, that's the whole know, thing. But that's the whole thing. Also, You're right. Yeah. But there were times that I just didn't know what I needed. Mm-hmm. And e- I can say that right now. At yeah. the, when things were happening, I didn't know what I needed. Right. I can say now that maybe that would have been okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't maybe. at the time. <laughs> yeah. right. But at the time I didn't even I didn't even know what was happening. And all I knew is we had to be there. I didn't want her by herself. Right. I didn't want your sister exactly. by herself dealing with anything. Yeah. Because there was a lot of other personal stuff going on with her. And I did not want her have to handle. I think I said that to her. Good or bad news from the doctors. Not even having to do with her personal stuff. I don't want her hearing it by herself. Yeah. I think maybe a, a better example would be because I could have taken a more active role without having to quit my job. I could have kept my job but as an example you know there's a doctor's appointment coming up and instead of me moving things around on my schedule making sure that I'm there I was more of a I took more of a role of if Carmen wants me there she'll ask me Mm. we we had our early conversation that I never forgot about and I think that was like a mistake the conversation was, she she said, if I need you for something, I'll, I'll let you know. Mm. But I think she, she said that also during the conversation of a, uh, the way I remember it, when we were told it's a 95% cure rate. Yeah. So she didn't know that she wasn't going to know what right, she needed. Right, right. Um, 
And so, but I held on to that. And yeah. I said, well, if she needs me there, she'll let me know. And yeah. she says, hey, there's a doctor's appointment, but it's not followed up with, will you come? Mm-hmm. Then I took that as I'm not needed. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, sometimes it got converted to, in my brain, in my somewhat twisted brain, it got converted to, she doesn't want me there. Mm. So if she wanted me there, she would ask me since she didn't ask me to show up for the doctor's appointment, since she didn't ask me to do this or that, mm-hmm. then I'm not, I'm not wanted. Stay sitting on the end of the bench. We'll call you when we need you. So that was, There's that. and that created issues. So taking his Personal. example, yeah, with you, with your sister, we were there and we saw the laces broke. Mm-hmm. The, so we were able to see and notice and take care of that. Mm-hmm. And he was still waiting for the orders. I guess. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. You need to go oh, take yeah. care of this. You need to go take care of that. We were just doing it. Your sister sometimes didn't even ask. And we were just taking care of things because we knew. Yeah. Right. Because it, we're there. Yeah. But it. What I'm hearing him say too, though, that it affected your dynamic as well. Like uh-huh. your relationship was affected oh, yeah. because the communication of it, was. Of course, right. I think we said that clear before. Clear crystal yeah. clear. Every single relationship in this household, in, yeah. in this family, got affected. Every single one. And yeah. you know what's weird is that, like you say, that the communication wasn't crystal clear. But I can't speak for her. But to me, it was crystal clear yeah yeah <laughs> but then not you, knowing that it was foggy yeah you know, i thought mm-hmm. the fog was crystal clear yeah. yeah but then you also said that you sort of translated that differently than i think that she had intended yes. it right? right that you only had had you know this thought of she doesn't want me there right. or there's some right. you know separation that right. th- that came from uh-huh. that communication that i don't think was intended so no so going back to what would I do differently, mm-hmm. maybe just when I say take a more active role, instead of waiting for her to say, hey, um, would you come? When she says there's a doctor's appointment on this date, I would just say, OK, and <laughs> move my schedule around and, you know, start asking questions to like let her know I'm going. Yeah. Without having to be asked. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. what I mean. Got it. I'm sure that would have been. Played out very differently, but yeah, yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. That, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But I appreciate the hindsight because somebody who might be in the middle right. of this journey could go, "Hey, right. I could change the way that things are communicated." Mm-hmm. So currently, Angelina said that with school, when they were when she was saying, you know, people said, "You don't have to go," you know, concentrate on your studies, and she said, in hindsight. I don't know exactly her words. It was words, like less important. It was something. less important. You yeah. can still catch up. And yeah. that's exactly the same thing. I feel yeah. like he's saying it's yeah. you You don't realize because, again, we're talking about a 95% cure rate. You don't realize it might be your last chance to be able to do anything. You know, the opportunities to do it is not going to keep happening because she right. didn't make it. Right. So you lo- you almost like you lost the opportunity to sh- be there to show them. So if I can back up a little bit, because we, we sort of jumped into, you know, what it was like throughout the cancer journey and the dynamic and the relationship and your role. But can you tell me a little bit or can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, your feelings about the diagnosis? What was what was it like to hear that this kid 
now has a cancer, although it was a cure, although we were like, mom had communicated, you know, there's a plan already for this and this is what this looks like. But what was that like for you to hear? Because I don't know if you have any history with cancer or tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. So I have family members on on my dad's side of the family who passed away from cancer, but they were all much, much older. Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. weren't going to, you know, die from cancer. They were ready to die from something else. Mm, mm. This was new. This was different. Yeah. Um, It's not the same as, as, you know, you expect your grandparents and when they get up there at a certain age, that they're going to go. But this was um, completely different and that it was, you know, such a young child. And initially, I think, I think some of my guilt comes from, I didn't think much of the very first when she came to me and said, hey, there's, you know, 95% cure rate. I was like, oh, okay, no, no problem. Let's, you know, there there's no issues. After some time, and unfortunately, I can't remember, there was so much going on. Can't remember how much time it passed before it came back. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when I saw the seriousness because there was a conversation about when you're talking about percentages, right? So the first percentage I heard was it's a 95% cure rate. And at some point, your mom was telling me about the doctor said if it comes back, then it could be a 50-50 chance, I think, was the, the next level. This, I don't even The remember. way I remember it. Okay. And so in my mind, right, so let's just go with that. Okay. In my, in my <laughs> mind, that's, it is. Yeah. The way I remember yeah. it was that it was a 50-50% cure rate. Okay. And I thought, oh, I do not like those odds at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. But we don't have to think about that because it's a 95% cure rate. Yeah. Which so you were still thinking about the original is, statistics yeah, from, okay. Yeah, that's, uh, I think I was just holding on to that. Yeah. And then it came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, from my position, from my perspective, while you all fired up the, the family machine, if I can call it that, <laughs> fired it up and put it into motion, Yeah. I was, you know, trying to get the big picture and I thought, yeah, this isn't, I, I don't like those odds. Yeah. I don't like those odds at all. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't get in an airplane saying, hey, it's 50-50 chance. It's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, no. Right? No, no, not no, going to no, happen. No. Yeah. So, so I thought this isn't good. And, and I, I guess in a way I start preparing myself for mm. the inevitable, just kind of like, and it was more of a, I wasn't, I didn't like write her off. No. You know what I mean? No, I, but I, it was more of like a hope, prepare for the worst, but hope for the best kind of attitude. That yes. I yes. I'm with you. I, I feel like I was the only one that felt that way because it was like the statistics said for us to be hopeful. The doctors say things for you to stay hopeful. But even at diagnosis, I still felt like the worst was going to happen. And I was prepared every time we went in, every surgery for the worst. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that I lost hope, but hope definitely wasn't like the forefront. It was more the negative. And it was, and I don't know, I don't know why, but I just felt like everything that they told us wasn't coming true like it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So I was having a hard time trusting 
I was having a hard time thinking anything differently than mm-hmm. the worst is going to happen. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm with you. So you, you sort of, I'm not to cut you out, but you sort of teared up about talking about, you know, preparing for the worst. So that leads me into my question about grief. So talk to us a little bit about any grief that you can identify that happened during the cancer journey. Certainly guilt. 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 More guilt than grief. More, yes. I think guilt is part of the grieving process, I guess. But I felt guilty a lot. About? Okay. I apologize. Don't apologize. Steve, You, <laughs> there is no reason for you to apologize at all. Okay. So my guilt comes from, I am supposed to protect this family. Because mm. that's my guilt. <laughs> that's the baby's brother's guilt, too. When he was a kid, he would say that to us. Yeah. That's every man's responsibility. Take care of the family. I check every night to make sure that the doors are locked. Check the cameras, put cameras on the house, try to keep us safe. Talk to everybody about safety. Mm -hmm. And I know that if something bad happens, again, that's when I get to push people out of the way Mm -hmm. to stop the bad thing. So in this situation, the only thing that comes in my mind is failure. Mm. I didn't do my job. I think as, as parents, you feel like you're supposed to protect your children. I'm sure that Jess felt the same way, but we feel like compounded. She, she said that. She felt like a failure, too. I know there's nothing I can say that's going to relieve you of that feeling. But I hope you guys know that you know, from an outside perspective, Jess, Mom, Steve, there was nothing you can do. That was like the lack of control that we had a difficult time with, right? Because we wanted to be able to control the situation. We wanted her cured. We wanted to do this. But we didn't yeah. have the medical expertise. We didn't have the tool set to be able to do that. All we could do was support because we're trusting in the medical professionals to do what they're right. supposed to do to keep our right. loved ones alive. Mm-hmm. But if I can say anything, Steve, is that, you know, I don't feel like you're a failure at all. I don't know if that means anything or, you know, helps you in any way. But even you too, Mom, like we, Jess, you guys didn't fail. And I know I can't change that feeling, but I understand why you could feel that way. Thank you. Wow. So you kind of already talked about in the totality of things feeling like a failure because she passed. So if we can... Talk a little bit about that. You were there when we got the six months, you said death sentence, I think, in a previous episode. But Uh they told us that she was terminal. She had six months. You were there in the hospital. Yeah. What was that like for you? Overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit earlier about, like, just my career being in law enforcement. And you probably know that police officers train a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. They do a lot of training. And those trainings often mimic real-life situations. Of course. And you train to deal with the real-life situation so that you can survive it. You go home safe. Mm-hmm. No, There's no training for this. Yeah. There's nothing that, that you can do. And, you know, we talked a minute ago about we when we got the 50-50 mm-hmm. information that, you know, it was 50-50 and people still had had hope like they should have. Mm-hmm. 
I looked at Jess at that time, and she was doing everything. I looked, I said, she's doing everything she's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And she was operating in a way, like I looked at her and saw that she was just, this was just something that we're going to do. One, you know, step one, two, three, and we're going to be beyond this. Type A. <laughs> <laughs> And again, in my mind, the 50-50, I think, is part of my guilt also when I heard that. And I thought, this is not good. Mm-hmm. I start preparing myself for her dying. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. I feel like I start preparing myself um, much, much sooner than everyone else. Mm. And and so when we got the six-month notice. Can I interrupt you before yes. you go into six months? So you saying you're saying that you're preparing yourself for the worst, but you're also in a relationship with mom mm-hmm. and she may not be in the same position that you are in the mental headspace of I'm preparing for for her to die. Mom might be in no, she's surviving, she's surviving. Would you say that that was true in sort of in that time frame that you guys had different perspectives of that time frame? Well, Does I that ne- make sense? Yes, but I, I never told her. I never that's said what to I was, mom, that's what yes, I wanted I to never, know. Never ever okay. said that to anyone till today. How do you deal with that? How did you deal with that? With holding it in, not talking to somebody about it. Or did you? I didn't talk. I haven't yeah. talked to anybody about this. I don't know. I don't know how I dealt with it. I just guess I just dealt with it. Mm. I just accepted it. But you know, I wasn't when I say I was preparing myself, I wasn't it, it's as I say it, it sounds to me like I said I was looking for that to happen. And I mm-hmm. wasn't trying to do that. I wasn't trying to be a downer. I wasn't trying yeah. to, you know, impact oh, yeah. anyone else's oh, yeah. belief system. Sure. I just, for myself, I said, she's got a 50-50 chance. Again, I'm just going to prepare for the worst. And I start living trying to capitalize on on opportunities that I had with her. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I'm playing a certain role. Mm-hmm. I have my position in, in that line of people mm-hmm. who gets to spend time with her, I think, in a previous podcast. Yeah. You guys talked about that. Yeah. And, and I kind of smiled because I go, yeah, I, I recognize yeah. that. But yeah, I was, and, and I would never, ever say to, you know, your mom or anyone else that was yeah. going for Jess or anyone that, that hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm preparing yeah. for this. So you need to also, because yeah. no, we all have to deal with it our own way. So you didn't have any, and this isn't to make mom feel bad, but I felt like we were in our own struggles and not wanting to have whatever we were feeling sort of dumped on somebody else. If they were in like a better place right. or they right. were in like this more positive space, right? you didn't have anybody to support you through to help you work through some of those feelings that you had. It was just you internalizing you, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yes, but but also, in a weird kind of way, I just, I knew that, okay, this is the decision that I made. Mm. So I recognized that decision, and I also knew that Carm was holding out more hope. Mm-hmm. Jessica was holding out more hope, but they needed to, because yeah. I saw hope as positivity, 100%. and positivity yes. is what's needed, Yes, um, <laughs> and I saw the way I felt was more negative, or I'd like to put it a different way, sure. a lot less positive <laughs> yes. Than, yes. Than, than the way that they saw it. Yeah. Um, I get it. 
I so, totally get it. So I wasn't going to do anything right. to, 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 you know, right. drop their positivity, not, not one rung on a ladder. Well, I could tell you, you weren't alone. Okay. I, I can't remember who said it, but you sort of put on this brave face. Maybe it was Angelina. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was. You put on a brave face, but your, your feelings are, are very conflicting with your brave face, right? You try yes. to, you, you try to support and you go, yes, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. But deep down inside, you might be going, this does not look good. This right. is not, you know, the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to save this person, but all these numbers, all this surgeries, all the, you know, the symptomatic things of the cancer were telling us complete opposite. So that right. I talk about conflicted feelings constantly because mm-hmm. I'm living in this. We need to stay hopeful. In my brain, I'm going, I need to stay hopeful, but I can't tune out all the dark negative feelings about it. So you weren't alone. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry that you had to sort of do it alone. But yeah, but I appreciate you sharing you sharing that. But it's also reflection of relationships and how you sort of right. try to keep a relationship intact and the <clears throat> dynamic to not bring somebody else down. But that's mm-hmm. gotta be heavy. It's gotta be really heavy to do. I think the the part for me is and I know he was saying fifty fifty, but once she got into the the other percentage, yeah. it was basically she was in the five percent. Yeah. It was a five percent chance. After that, because she was in the other side of the 95. Right. Yeah. But of that 5%, you had that 50-50 chance that maybe. Right. Right. But it's it's still, you still think, okay, there's got to be some hope. There's got to be something. Why Why would we keep fighting if there wasn't right. like a hope? Yeah. And if anybody was going to make it, it's going to be her. My gosh, she's got... I mean, her her little attitude, she doesn't know what's <laughs> happening. And she's so funny. She's Even feisty. through the oh little my firecracker. Gosh, little firecracker. And she's so you say that can't. Strongest person in the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how could, if she's not giving up, why would we? Right, right. But when you start looking at the numbers, yeah. when you start looking at the figures the that they reality. give you, when, yeah. then how can you, how, can I mean, you, you have to, oh, yeah. it affects Anybody that looks at those numbers, you look at her and you go, no way. Yeah. No way. She's smiling. She's laughing. She's joking. Yeah. So we can go back to the six months when we were in that room. Yeah. Tell us about that. So, yeah. I, you know, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like it was like it put the period at the end of the sentence. You listened to the episodes where we sort of go into those details. Do you remember all of that? Those details are very, like, blurry to me. Yeah, yeah. It's all a blur. Yeah. Um, I know I've been to the hospital. I, you know, I went sometimes. Sometimes I didn't. But in terms of, like, like on a linear timeline, it felt like it happened a lot faster Mm -hmm. than it did. Mm -hmm. So... What's clear in my mind, it's kind of weird. What's clear in my mind is the very first conversation that when your mom came to me and said, hey, you know, she's been diagnosed as as having cancer. Because when she said that, it wasn't like, and I know, you know your mom, I know your mom. (laughs) If it was bad, you'd see it on her face. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't any of that because mm. again she immediately said this is a ninety five percent cure rate. You know this is the kind of the kind of cancer to have, and mm-hmm. go, what about the kind of cancer not to have? Yeah, right. right? Um, there is no kind of cancer to Amen. have. Um, but I remember that clearly, and 
then I remember her passing away. Do you want to talk about that? I'll answer your questions. (laughs) (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Sure. I'll try to answer your question. (laughs) I don't know if I have questions for it. It's basically just, what do you remember about it? What were you doing that day? And sort of what was the scenery like? Because you're an officer, so you go onto a scene and you're observant of everything. So I'm just curious about... You know, what were you doing that day? And when you came onto the scene, what was that like? I And how I, were you feeling through it? I think about this. I've thought about it a lot. Mm. I cannot remember what I was doing that day. Mm. I can't remember if I was at work. I can't remember how I got the call. The only thing I can remember is if, you know, you go from, a black movie screen to fade in mm-hmm. is when you fade in, I'm sitting in the emergency room mm. with your mom waiting to get into the, the room with the baby. Mm. And I remember I, I knew that she had had a seizure mm-hmm. that time, but I didn't know that that was the day. I remember being angry. We both, I think, got angry about not being able to get into the room. Mm. And then finally when we when we did and and we knew she had, but by the time we got into the room we had already been told that she had passed away which made me more angry mm-hmm. because I felt like how long were we out in the in the waiting room? An hour? I can't like tell you. You can't that. tell. It seems like a long long time. Yeah. But then I just remember going in the room and seeing Jessica holding her baby who appeared to be asleep, mm-hmm. and it was angelic. Let's take a break here. Okay. When we come back, we'll sort of decompress from that and then talk about how you've been able to get through since then. How's that sound? Okay. All right. Love you. Love you. Love you. That was rough. Hey, cool kid. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>